0: Thank you so much. Morning, everyone. My name's Graham, and uh, I'm I'm having great pleasure and joy and fun most of the time. It's fun, as in being the senior pastor. Most of the time, it's fun. Vast majority of the time, it's fun. It's been a good week. Everyone had a good week? Look, you all survived, as Josh said, you all survived the terror that was Cyclone Omar. (laughs) I had a folding chair. On my back deck that almost blew over, but we've rebuilt. We've got it. it almost blew over. see yeah that's right. We did a, work, did a work party around for that. Don't we just love a dramatic uh, weather event these days, don't we? And we've got to call it an event. It can't just be rain. It's a rain event. It's a weather event. But we're survivors. We. Apparently the surf was good. Josh, did you... There, is, and anyone... Who else... Did anyone else surf here? Pardon? Jenny was out. Jenny was out. Oh, Jenny, and that was right. Oh, yeah, the surf... Was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just give it us a great image of Jenny surfing. It's fantastic. Good stuff. Hey, uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to this morning... Um, As Josh was referring to uh, earlier, we are where we've just started a journey, a bit of a journey in Scripture, and we're taking a a deep dive into Scripture um, and particularly into the stories that have come out of God's people's experience of exile because there's something, I believe, really, really powerful for us in this. Um, But I think I said a couple of weeks ago when I preached... um, we do understand that this perhaps is not going to be easy but it is going to be worth it and i know in preparing this week um that it's been so you know so good i'll use the spiritual word it's been so edifying it makes me sound so much more spiritual when i say that but it it is just been so good to dive into again some stuff and and refresh and revisit some stuff that are kind of aware of but it's just struck me again and so I'm hoping to share that with you this morning so there's a degree of excitement that's coming um, and I'm hoping with that God brings a degree of clarity as well for your sake but there's certainly excitement and passion because uh, there is yeah I've just had a great week in 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 jumping into this into this series but like I said we are aware what we're doing is you know um, if you're scared of the Bible (laughs) If you're scared of the story, if you're scared of the big themes of... When I say scared, no, one's scared of it. But if it doesn't float your boat, um, sorry, not sorry. Because that's what we're doing. There is something here when we go deep into what we're doing that makes... uh, that that comes out of us. And so... that can come out of us. So, the very important question... well, let me start. Jeremiah 29, a couple of weeks ago, I said, as we started this journey... Jeremiah 20, 29, we feel like is a, it's like a bit of a touchstone, a bit of a banner or a place where we launch off from um, because it's, got, it's, it's, got some, uh, it's written specifically to God's people in exile. The first time it was written, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived quite a long way before God's people actually went into exile. So God's people, the Hebrews, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, ringing any bell here, the 12 12 tribes who then, remember the story of Joseph, find themselves in Egypt. All of the 12 tribes, the family of God, find themselves in Egypt in slavery. That wasn't God's plan A. So God sends Moses, delivers them out of Egypt, and actually in the journey through the wilderness, forms them into more than just 12 tribes and a big family, but a nation. And very, you know, all of the the stories that you may have heard in Sunday school or heard preached about in the desert, the Ten Commandments, um, kind of setting up the table. It was all about God forming them into a nation with Him at the center, saying, "My, this, this is how, this is how, well, this is what is best for you. This is my vision for you. I'm taking you to a promised land, I'm taking you out of slavery, out of entrapment. That's not my plan. If ever you find yourself," where you are, feel enslaved to something that you can't get out of it, have confidence that God will have a plan to take you out of it because that's not his plan. He also has a place not only to take you out of slavery but into a promised land. And so he's taking them to a promised land. There's a place that is like flourishing in, in the biblical language, language, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he takes them there. In the middle of that, he forms them into a people and says, this is the way we're going to relate to each other. And actually, just about everything he does in terms of forming their practices um, and worship is about putting God at the center. Look, if God's at the center of all you do, there's actually a great freedom in that. There's a great joy. He's not very prescriptive. They get to the promised land. He says, off you go, enjoy. Just remember to keep me at the center. And do you remember we looked at the temple? I don't know if you were here. We looked at the temple. How right from the very start, actually Genesis, but certainly in the desert, we see God says... Look, in all of your worship, even in the practical ways you do that, put me at the center to remind yourself this is the way life works. So they arrive in the Promised Land and not too far, not too later into the story, they go, well, that's been great, but we think we've got a few ideas ourselves. We might give this a bit of a crack ourselves. And so they start to do things where God isn't at the center. They start to make alliances with other countries. They start to do things from the king all the way through The nation, often the king is used as the emblematic example of the heart of the nation. The king does all of these things where God isn't at the center. What do you know? It doesn't go very well. And into this environment, Jeremiah speaks and says, look, this is not going to turn out well for you. This is not going to turn out well when you don't put God at the center. And in fact, you're, you're you're building empires, you're building structures, you're building things around yourself. That will actually again enslave you. Will take you in a different direction, and to demonstrate that, in His sovereignty, Jeremiah and other prophets speak to the fact there'll be there'll be nations that will come and take you away from all of this. And and this is what Jeremiah speaks into here. And the essence of this, if you remember, we looked at this. He's saying, even though this is not my plan A even though you were going to be separated from the things that were meant to be the symbol of my blessing and my love and my presence, the, the, the promised land, the temple worship, you're going to be away from that to remind you things have not worked out well. But I'm going to teach you something in exile because you're going to learn something. And the language here is very much, you can see um, in the very first verse, this is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says, to all those I carried into exile, so he's giving a sense of sovereignty here. I'm in this. All the way through that, he's saying, I'm in this. And I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to show you something here. So don't rage against the machine. Don't kick against the goads. You might have heard that term. It's a biblical term. So don't don't resist this because I'm doing something. And actually, ultimately, it's going to be good. You're going to learn something. And he says, actually, not only that, not, will you, not only will you learn something, but you'll actually you'll actually find you can experience and be the source of blessing as well. Go and do all of the things of life. Go and do the good things. You'll discover that I will be present in other places as well. You're not as reliant on the spiritual religious practices that you've built up as you think you are. You need to be reliant on me at the center of your life and you're about to discover that. So that's the word of Jeremiah. And verse seven, he says, actually also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. This is the thing. You'll actually be the source of blessing. You'll actually, I'll work through you for the sake of others. Because that was always God's plan. God's plan from the start, time and time again, as we understand the big narrative, was never about this little holy huddle of people who form some kind of sect, some sort of little enclave where they just hang together and we're very different to everyone else. We've got it sorted. We're very different. Look at those terrible people out there who've got it wrong. They don't have God. We've got it sorted here that was never his plan his plan was always about all of creation and he uses his people for that seek the peace and the prosperity of the city which i've carried you to into exile pray the, to the lord for it because if it prospers you will too prosper and so we're going to see and we've started in daniel we're going to look at esther we're going to look at jonah we're going to look at jesus we're going to look at peter for the way in which this truth is outworked all the way through scripture But god's people when they get this when they live out of this, when they align themselves to what God's doing, he continually uses them in very similar ways. For you, my my heart, my expectation, my prayer is that God is going to do some um, really formative stuff for us as a church in this time. We're going to hear this is what, when you hear the word of the Lord together, and when go people kind of go yes and amen together, it shapes us. Oh, like we, we all agree that was for us. We don't just we all agree that's true. But when you kind of go oh that was for us, it's very forming. Who's had that experience before? You know, I'm sure in, in relationships, in friendships, in in marriages, in teens, when you when you hear something that you feel is sovereignly for that group of people, it is so bonding. It's like God's spoken to us. We've got a sense of identity. That's what God's going to do for us. I'm so excited and expecting for that, and so wanting everyone to kind of hear and jump on board and hear that because there is such a sense of humble expectation for that. However, to do that, to get on board, there's kind of one. There is one proposition, almost an assumption, that you've got to agree to for, or that you've got to you know, you know that you, that you've got to agree is true, and that's this one. To be a follower of Jesus is to be in exile. To be a follower of Jesus is to be in exile. This is not just a little minor thing that we might be... It's, it's it's like... It's a bit like being like this in a little small way, actually. And this is, I, I would say very confidently to you, um, whether you receive that or not, this is not a controversial theological statement at all. There's not really any argument amongst mainstream evangelical Uh, scholars biblical scholars through the ages and across streams that this is true the idea that the experience of being a follower of jesus where jesus is king he rules and he reigns in our heart we become a part of the kingdom of god and yet we live in a world where the things that are being shaped and the institutions that are being shaped around us aren't necessarily and we shouldn't expect and haven't been shaped by people who are saying, "What um, Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord." Now, this is actually a little bit confused. Just hang with me here, because I can. I know some of you are. Hang on a second. What is difficult for you and me, for probably the majority of us here, is we've actually lived culturally in a in a bit of an anomaly, and historically in a bit of an anomaly. If you are like I have been born and raised in the West in the last 200 years, which most of you, some of some go beyond that here, then there's been this kind of blip in some ways where actually we've experienced in our lifetime something that's very rare for the rest of human history and actually if we're honest and we've got a bigger worldview, the rest of the world at the moment, the majority of Christians at the moment have no problem, who are living and breathing at the moment, have no problem um, connecting with the idea that to follow Jesus would be to set myself up and to live in a completely different environment because they're in a Muslim world or they're in a Hindu world or they're in a pagan world. So there's, there's no controversy there. But for us, what has actually happened is we're at a time where for the last, well, it's sort of been building for centuries, but certainly the last 200 years, we've actually been in a space and time where, where actually our, our education system has been influenced by Judeo-Christian thought. Uh, Our our political system, to some degree, to some degree, has been influenced and shaped by that as well. Now, the first thing we've got to be honest about historically is that's actually real. That's not been the case during human history. It's certainly not through biblical history. Also, I want to suggest to you, it's actually because the reason we've been in this unique position is because people, believers who've gone before us, have been serious about this, where they've gone to seek the peace of the city. Not necessarily to establish a Christian kingdom, although there's been some attempts at that. If we had time, we'd take you through history of how disastrous that's been for both the culture and Christianity of the day, when we've tried to build an empire, empire in the name of Jesus. That hasn't worked out very well. So, but there is some confusion. If you look like me and you sound like me and you've lived a life like me, which is most of us, because you think, well, actually, kind of, it has sort of been Christian, hasn't it? Yeah. But we're on the other side of that now, aren't we? Does anyone need convincing that we're on the other side of that now? So the fact that our Prime Minister is a, a Christian, is a brother in Christ, does not mean the Liberal Party has been formed to outwork what it is to, um, you know, what happens when politicians have Jesus rule and reign their life. I think what we've got and why I pray for him, and there's others, this, this is going to shock some of you, there's some of them in the Labour Party as well who believe that they are exiles, living like exiles in this system to influence and to to outwork that. There's some in the Greens Party. Oh, there's a political statement that rocks some of you. Some of them are Democrats, some of them are Republicans, some are in communist systems, some are in Islamic systems because they're living like exiles now we are like I said I think this statement only has controversy because you are uniquely positioned in human history and culture that is unlike most people who read the Bible and so it is a little bit of rediscovering this is why I think it's so timely because we're struggling with this reality because we've been brought up with one expectation but we're kind of living and it's happening so slowly it's difficult to recognise but it is happening it is happening no one really cares in the conversation about what you should do in your workplace unless, well, in this workplace it probably people should care a little bit more but in most of your workplaces, no one really cares if you end your suggestion with because the Bible says do they? I'm <laughs> not going to fly anymore well that's fine for you but we're not basing what we do and how we do it on that and so it is, to be a follower of Jesus is to be in exile it's not a new thing very, very old thing. Peter says, as he writes over and Beloved, I urge you running to Christians, as sojourners and exiles. It's his assumption. It's his assumption. He's talking to people who are having an experience of being, of a sojourner, of sort of wandering through life a little bit disconnected and exiled. John 17, which is such a, uh, one of my favourite chapters where Jesus is right before, right before the, the, the high drama of the Holy Week of his crucifixion he's in the garden of gethsemane he's praying and he's praying for his disciples and all of those who are about to come and he's and he has this thing it's, this is where we get the be in the world and not of it bit he's saying they're, they're in the world but they're not of the world but don't take them out of the world he actually says i pray you don't take them out there's something to be done for them being in the world but remind them they're not of this world remind them that they're citizens of heaven as paul and other it's another phrase that's used when Jesus rules and reigns, you will experience of what it's like to kind of be home but not be home. And that's the biblical norm. And when, and, and I'm, I'm dwelling on this, folks, because I, I actually do think it is a challenge, particularly for us in the West right now, to understand this. But when we do, there's so much, and I hope this morning is an experience of that, that comes out of the Bible that's so powerful because it's actually written to people who believe that, who live that. It's a bit like here, I'm sh- showing my um, Gen X cred here but the matrix remember the matrix the whole blue pill red pill thing it's a scary thing that which was what was the good one the red pill or the blue pill the red pill when you accept the red pill you know like you can either see the world as it really is which is a bit scary and it might not be great but it's true and there's a way through this or you can just continue to take the blue pill the panacea and ignore it well I'm I'm offering a red pill. It's good, though. It's like a jelly bean. tastes great on the other side of it, but it is. There is a little bit of a, this is the way the world is. And what, what opens your eyes, particularly in Scripture, we're going to see, is awesome. Okay. So one of the things we've also looked at, a little bit of uh, little bit of work that we've done thus far, and this is from a guy who's got three first names as a name, and I always get them in the wrong order. It's like Christopher, there's a Smith in there, and there's a Daniel. See the Christopher Smith, Daniel, Daniel, Christopher Smith, Daniel. Uh, Daniel Danny I call him Danny Um, and he wrote a a theology of exile I think it is Daniel Smith Christopher he's done a lot of um, writing and as Josh has been doing some preparation on our behalf for this Um, he talks about our posture towards the culture when we're in exile and again this is something we're going to see out of scripture this is not his idea he's distilling this out of what we're going to see in Daniel Esther and other books as we move forward So when you recognize that actually Jesus rules and reigns in my heart, so that means I've got these values. That's how I'm trying to build my life, based on these values, successfully or otherwise. But actually surrounding me in my workplace, in my street, in my sporting club, in my city, people aren't concerned and aren't living from the same values that come from Jesus Jesus ruling and reigning so we've got an option now we can either he, he uses language we can either rebel or revolt sort of take a very militant stance this is not right and I am just resisting hardcore and what his language here because in some degree rebelling Jesus was a bit of a rebel but what he points to here is the 10th I reckon you can recognise this I hope you can to kind of again withdraw and saying, I'm right, you're wrong let me point to all the places where you're wrong when we become the moral police for our society. Let me do all of these things where you're wrong and, it's, and, and I want nothing to do with it, but we are right. And actually, my posture towards culture is to just point out really dogmatically without any, you know, kind of winsomeness about it, without any love at times, just that is all wrong and this is right. That's kind of what he's talking about here, the idea to completely resist, which is a natural tendency Because it's sort of the flip side of not wanting to... The second bit is we can compromise. There's the other extreme. So one extreme is to become the moral police. It's not wrong. My job is just to keep pointing out to my school, my workplace, my friends, my family, where they're wrong and why. And I've got a million verses for you and a whole lot of internet stuff to give you. Trust me. About why and what will happen. So there's that extreme. Then the other extreme is to just go with the flow and just compromise. We all recognise this too. So can you see how one is the reaction to the other? So we've got poles here. He identifies a pole. And he says, actually in Scripture, the way of the exile is this radical third way, which is what Jesus always does, brings a radical third way. It's a radical move. It's around loyalty and subversion. So loyalty is, uh, uh, is the other word I use here is faithfulness. I'm staying faithful to what I know is true and right. So it's an aspect of compromise. But an aspect of responding to compromise. However, what I'm choosing to do is to live a life that points to the radical third one. So Jesus, John 3.16, God so loved gave His Son, for uh, Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to love it. And the way He does that is to embody what it is to live, he subverts, he's constantly showing, look, sermon on the mount, look, you've heard it said this, but I say this, whoa, mine's blown you've heard eye for an eye, well I say turn the other cheek um, the, the coin whose who's face is on, well, well yeah, pay your taxes but actually, whose inscription's on your heart? well that's God, whose inscription's on your heart so there's this subversion thing that he does and we're going to see it through the exiles we're going to see the story of the exiles. How they walk this balance and find a way to have faithfulness, but also live a life that stays true to the call of Jeremiah—that you would love and work for the blessing of the city and be a part of it, but also lives a, like a prophetic existence that shows there's another way. There's another way when Jesus rules and reigns. And, and we're going to, yeah, we're going to see that as we move forward so in the next few weeks we're going to go through Daniel and we have been looking at Daniel it's like Daniel's advice to exiles again in brackets because we're all exiles I'll leave it with you whether you agree or not if you don't and by the way I'm so genuinely and I know I speak for Josh here too and Clem we're so genuinely there'd be nothing more important in my week this week in my sort of the, the time I have for my ministry life to catch up over coffee to wrestle that out with you because some of this you will need to wrestle there will be some homework here there are no tests there will be some homework it's not going to be sermons all 25 minutes all beginning with the three points beginning with the letter P it's not going to be we're taking a deep dive it's going to be worth it and if I can add value if Josh can add value if Clint, by meeting and wrestling through that then I'd love to I mean I would love to honour your intent to come on a journey with us so the assumption is Daniel's got some advice for us we e- Esther has got some advice for us. Jonah has got some advice for us. And we're, we're digging deep into that to find it. Because actually, here's my next controversial statement. Ready? Hold on to this one. I don't think Daniel was actually written by Daniel. Now, I'm not doing some sort of liberal critique. I'm saying, what we're about to see about the way in which Daniel was constructed says there's something supernatural going on in this book. I actually don't think it's Daniel's advice I think it's God's advice I think I think the Holy Spirit might be at work here but it's through the voice of Daniel so you get what we're saying um, and actually next week and we're going to use this as a little bit of a um, again some reading that we've been doing when I say we, Josh who then photocopied and said to us we need to read this it was good and he was right, it was great there's, there's three things that we're going to look at in each one of these books. You see a pattern where, where the exiles and these stories that we're familiar with, they're wrestling with the same thing, three big themes that are really relevant to us. God's presence on foreign soil. To be a follower of God meant to be a Hebrew, meant to live in a place that was the Holy Land, called the Holy Land, and to regularly get your feet in a place called the temple, which was the Holy Place. That's what it meant to experience God's presence. If you're now in exile and you can't do that, how do I find God's presence? You know what this feels like when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your friendship circle, when you walk into a place where it feels like these are not the things that are going on that I recognize as being of God. How do I find God's presence here? Daniel's got something to say to you. Esther's got something to say. It's, I'll give you a little spoiler alert. It's good news. It's good news. Embodied holiness. Temptation to think that holiness is like being the moral police. It's when we, Holiness is all the things you don't do, the words you don't say, the, the, the drinks you don't drink, the music you don't listen to. If you get all those right, you're holy. Absolutely, there is a connection to our behaviour and holiness. But the, the, the fullest idea of holiness is when we are set apart to be living, living a radically different, this prophetic different way, this subverting. So our lives speak to other people because we're saying, no, our lives are set apart and for God. We we say it before. Um, all I am is yours. That's a statement of holiness. All I am is yours. Now, to the degree in which we can live that out is holiness. And of course, should that touch your morality and your behaviour? Well, if it's not, something's going wrong. Can we define? Should we define holiness as just someone who's, you know, doesn't do a certain number of things and does do a certain other things? No, that really reduces down what it is. And again, so important for the exiles because holiness meant I would, I would get to the, the temple for these feasts. I would do these things. I do these practices, around all this. I can't do any of it anymore. Can I now be? Am I even set apart? Am I even holy anymore? Daniel's got some good news again if you've you know and i know i'm thinking of daniel and married here that would have so much to speak to about what it is if you live in in a culture where you can't do that openness where you can't do the things that make you christian openly if someone's been in a communist environment if someone's been in a a family perhaps where it's really really your, your christianity needs to be lived out wisely where you can't just kind of Accidentally leave, leave eternity news on there to reach in, you know, the Bible around at some verse, all those things that we do overtly. If you can't do that, what does holy, holiness look like? I'm sure all of you have that experience of limitation of your practices. So, does that mean you can't be Christian anymore? Daniel's got good news, Esther's got good news. The whole Bible does. And then, mission what does mission look like? What is the purpose of God in the midst of this? So, we're going to look at those. But in the time I've got, I really, oh, I really want to look at this. Boxes. Who gets excited by boxes and a PowerPoint presentation? Woo! This could be the most exciting, thank you, this could be the most exciting PowerPoint presentation you've ever seen in your life. And, and I've done some good ones in my time. Thank you. No, I, um, I, again, it reminded me again as I was doing some, some studying preparation. And, and it really flows out of what Josh touched on, it, on some of this. And by the way, if you want to do some further studying, which I know after this, you're going to want it. You, I, you won't be able to be held back. But um, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we showed that little clip from YouTube about exile and had the bird and, the, and talked about, it actually answered the question, why are we all exiles or not? It was done by the guys called The Bible Project. They've done some fantastic work and summaries to make it really approachable. So I'm even going to, I'm going to like out-summary the Bible project. I'm going to summarize what they did a little more. But there's something in here about the way in which Daniel is written, the Spirit of God at work here, that tells us and speaks to us so powerfully that I'm hoping we reveal. And it's just really looking at the overview of Daniel and the structure of it. So, um, you can't quite, they're they're meant to be three different, can you chapter 2, 7, chapter 3, six, uh, 1, 3 and 6, they're meant to be slightly different colours, I don't know if it picks up That's like, okay, you can see that, cool okay, now um, Josh also mentioned this, interestingly, really interesting. the original language chapter 1, written in Hebrew chapters 2 to 7, go to Aramaic Aramaic's kind of related, similar to Hebrew, but it's kind of like the world it, it's a bit more of a world language So imagine when you are in watching a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where all of a sudden um, it goes to black and white. They use a a cinematography... I can't even... They they use a thing. (laughs) Where it goes black and white. Or the other thing would be when the music really changes. Without you knowing, it's getting you to pay attention that something different's happening. That's kind of what's going on here. Something significant, because then it goes back to Hebrew. Now this is the spirit... convinced this is the spirit of God at work to, to help us draw attention to the fact there's something going on there's a change of scene that's really important here where it goes Hebrew Aramaic Hebrew so chapter one we talked about this really briefly this is where we get the first of three stories that are the kind of the the bits you remember of Daniel there's three stories that are about young um uh young Hebrews who make a stand in three different uh, contexts. So chapter one is the one where they decide to go, and this must be God, vegetarian. (laughs) Only under the, the unction of God could I imagine that you would do that. But they're making a stand because, and again, look at the way they subvert. They don't revolt. They don't kind of say, we're not, we're no possible way. They actually go and they suggest. It's very winsome. They go and say, look, we would you allow us to be vegetarian and we think we'll prove to you that we can work as well as anyone and so they make this stand they do something with their life that subverts what's going on in their culture and out of it god's glorified because actually out of that they are, they they don't wither away as you you know clearly would i think there is a cautionary tale about the need to eat meat in this because it's miraculous that they don't die that's the point of the story it's miraculous that they don't die and because of that, God is glorified. And they actually now, they further, uh, they, they get more Jeremiah 27 in this. 27? 29? 29, 29. Where they've now gain greater favour and come and serve the king. So out of that, God is glorified. They subvert it by the way they live. There's two more stories. Very, very similar. That's the first one. Then they're now fully in um, in Babylon. They've been taken off exile and chapter two we get a dream very quickly so you might remember this the king has a dream and daniel's the guy who can interpret it i got all of the other um you know the gun philosophers and mentalists and people who can interpret daniel's the one who's able to interpret it the nature of the dream will come back to him as well as again god's glorified through this he's used daniel doesn't say you're a foreign king you're a ruling king i'm not interpreting get stuffed i'm not interpreting your dream he serves the king and then through that god's glorified but the, what the dream is about is really interesting we'll get back to that chapter three our second story the fiery furnace this is we love this one shadrach meshach abed neck go throw that in in throw the end in some of you here will get very i get emails unless i throw that in in trust me same deal they're, they're called to do some sort of practice with their life. Where out of loyalty to their to God, they say we can't do that. Interestingly, and I think this is actually important, they don't go, "Okay, well, we're going to go in the fiery furnace, but we know God's going to deliver us." More the attitude is, "Well, God, we think God will, but it'll be okay no matter what. No matter what, this is where we need to take a stand. Where we're not going to compromise, but we're also not going to like if you." It's the, the tenor of the way it's written it's like, okay, well if I've got to go in the fiery furnace I've got to go in the fiery furnace see how there's not that sort of revolt and out now, out, sort of rising up not even necessarily saying there's not a place for that but there's a very clear pattern there. and God delivers them chapter 4 and chapter 5, again you can see the connection here, we're sort of turning the corner chapter 4 and chapter 5, same story two kings, father, son and they both they both have issues of pride this is really significant here, they both have really uh, significant issues of pride. Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of goes crazy and the the language we don't have time to go into it, but the language and the imagery here is he becomes beastly, becomes violent. He kind of goes crazy. He goes into a wild beast. Now eventually he acknowledges God, he returns back to sanity and he again glorifies God through that. Same kind of thing happens with his son. His son doesn't and he dies. In fact, He dies violently. He's killed. So one king, and the picture is that their their pride, from their position, from the empires they're trying to build, from what they're trying to do with power, turns them into a beast, turns them very unhuman. And it actually relates back to, remember Psalm 8, where it says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your way in all of the earth. Who Who are humans that you would... Um, that you would consider us just lower, higher, lower than the angels, something there, but says you crown them with glory. Royal language. That tracks all the way back to Genesis 1-2 where we have a role to rule and reign. It's a royal role. Here it's saying when you get it wrong and you don't make God the center, it actually becomes beastly. It actually becomes, it is human to rule and reign with God at the middle, but actually if you don't do that, it becomes beastly and violence will happen. Death occurs because of it. Nebuchadnezzar gets it; he turns, he's saved, he acknowledges God. That is a big theme. But then we've got the lions den. We know that one. You can hopefully by now you can see the pattern of how it's the same kind of story. He resists. Then here, this is kind of the highlight. Daniel has this dream, similar to the king's dream, and this was the one. I don't know if it tripped you out last week when, if you were here when Joshua is led. It's, it's wild. It's I don't know if someone slips the Babylonian equivalent of lsd into his food or something but daniel has this wild dream and guess guess what it's about beasts beasts because actually the the interpretation is about kingdoms and in all of the complexity of it the the takeaway story you need to get is that god comes and smashes it. god will smash those kingdoms that set themselves up and from there, it goes into chapter 8 and 12, and we love this one because we want to we interpret. Again, it's really dream language. It looks at the future. We try and figure out, is that, is that the Greek Empire, or is that the Roman Empire, or is that the British Empire, or is that Russia, or is that Trump, or is that Obama, or is that, you know. You could spend for days trying to figure it out. Really, what we need to know is it's after Daniel has this dream where he's convinced it's interpreted God will come all of the kingdoms that raise themselves up out of pride God will deliver us from those it will happen Daniel then goes Lord when Lord when in chapters 8 to 12 kind of deal with God answering Lord when and again the good news I'll I'll give you the cheat notes eventually he will he will but here's the reason why I think and many think that it's so difficult to pin down what means what because he's saying I always will do this so if you were living during the Babylonian empire and you read Daniel and turned these stories you'd go oh I recognize that now that means it's going to happen now because this is a source of encouragement for us this is where the spirit of God works through this it's now and then if you were living through the Roman empire you would read this as a believer and say oh this is now And if you're living through any age and any empire where you feel like something has been risen up and there's an empire that's been built in the image of not God, but people, Daniel says to you, I will come. I will deliver you. Don't bow down. You can stand. And so in this, there's a pattern. What this speaks to us. Humans and their empires become beastly when they're based on anything other than God. It will do violence to you. It'll become like a den of lions. It'll become like a fiery furnace. When things and empires are built up that are without God at the center, that's the pattern. Here's the thing. Well, let me tell you about the promise. I'll get the the band to come up. God, through his people, here's the promise. God, through his people, read chapter one, read chapter three, read chapter six will confront, subvert and deliver his people from these beasts and re-establish shalom. So that's true on this grand scale, things that are beyond your, at a political level or at a, um, if you're concerned about the direction of the education system or you're just concerned about the direction of politics, all these things that are kind of beyond your control. Daniel says to you, God will deliver. He's done it time and time again it will not stand it cannot stand people will rise up God will cause his people to rise up but here's where the real power is this morning your career can be an empire that if you put if you don't put God at the centre of that it'll become beastly it'll consume you it'll be like a fiery furnace it'll do damage to you your desire your desire for financial wealth it can be an empire. It'll consume you. It'll be like a fiery furnace and it'll do damage to you. The pattern your patterns and habits, if you don't put God at the center of them will become like a fiery furnace. It'll become like an evil empire. it'll consume you. But the promise for you from Daniel for all who identify as exiles is that God will deliver. Actually what God might do is send someone to you to show another way of living. To subvert the way in which you're living. And then out of that you're then called to go and be that person who lives in the evil empire of your workplace and so you're whatever you feel in your world that is not being built on the values of God you will be called to be someone who lives in a way that subverts that that actually brings demonstrates this is what it looks like when Jesus rules and reigns for literally thousands of years Daniel has been read as encouragement to exiles not just at a big macro level but personally I'm going to encourage this as we finish we're going to sing that song. Uh, we'll just do it prayerfully. I, I, um, the stand. Just you do that. I'll stand. do not you stand with me here? It's super weird to sing it when we're not standing, doesn't it? <clears throat> this encouragement is for God's people when they were sort of spread out. There was this word that was that was used for them. They became the diaspora. It's the same word as dispersed. You know I talked about the church is a place where we should be powerfully gathered because we've got to be powerfully dispersed? There was a great dispersion that happened at the beginning of Acts, where the church is born. Go out and live like exiles in this world. And God did something really powerful for that purpose, which was download the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been given to you so that you can live a life dispersed you can you can be encouraged you know you're not going alone so right now just as we finish the last final two minutes as we wrap up here I want you to think about what is the world that you're dispersed to we're powerfully gathered this morning This Daniel's got good news for us you've got the Holy Spirit but now as we leave we're about to be dispersed the Holy Spirit goes with you so that you can stand What does it feel like? Where's the place where you feel like this is not God. This is not based on the values of God. Jesus is not Jesus is not king here. And actually, it could do damage to me. It feels like I could be consumed in this environment. It feels like I could be harmed. Picture that place. Name that place and know that the Spirit goes with you to cause you to stand your story as an exile is that you're able to stand in those places not just endure but to stand and try and God will be glorified let's just sing this as a benediction as we finish our stand this was produced by Cornerstone Christian resources it is deemed copyright and may be used for further information about Cornerstone Christian resources please visit the Cornerstone website at www.cornerstone.com i